Um, it is uh, welcome to the podcast. It is Saturday, August the nineteenth at two oh two p.m. Central Time, and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment, the twice weekly podcast about people, politics, and professions. I'm Leon Davis. Warren Harper is not going to join me this afternoon, uh, and Leonard is still um, unable to to join us. But uh, uh, we we should have Warren back next week. And Leonard will be coming as soon as he is able to. So I thank you very much for joining me. Um, as I mentioned today, or as I was trying to mention, today is Juneteenth, June 19th. It has officially been signed as a federal holiday by um, Joe Biden. And um, there has been the ongoing back and forth about now we have two Independence Days, and that discussion will probably go on for a while. There are other discussions that are going to surround the implementation of this as a holiday. Um, there are, I believe, several people who, many Americans who celebrate the 4th of July and really don't understand the holiday. There are holidays that people participate in and don't necessarily understand it. I, I am concerned that that the meaning of this particular holiday uh, should not be overlooked or at least uh, has some impact. I don't, what I don't know is, and one of the questions that I have is, what is the long-term impact of this as a holiday? Uh, is it just going to be a holiday where people uh, are excited about doing it, uh, you know, having the day off and not, Understanding the struggle that went behind the holiday, the struggles that people uh, exist, uh, deal with on a daily basis, and that uh, problems that we need to address. Um, I ran across this article on Teen Vogue. Uh, the title of the article was What is Juneteenth? How it is celebrated? And why does it matter? By uh, Jamila Nasheed, who is a opinion column, uh, uh, editorial uh, writer for Teen Vogue. And she starts out, Juneteenth is a special celebration on June 19th that commemorates the end of the United States historical practice of slavery. In this sense, Juneteenth is a day for honoring the freedom of all people living in the United States. Uh, she goes on to talk about the history of Juneteenth, how do people celebrate Juneteenth, and why does Juneteenth matter? And when she gets down to, to why Juneteenth matter, there was a graphic that I ran across my Facebook feed, and if you have an opportunity to see the graphic, uh, I didn't put it into the, the show, but the graphic is... There's a young man standing at the bottom of a foot of a staircase, and he's stretched his foot. Uh, one, so one foot is the, at the bottom of the steps. The other foot is um, about four or five steps up. And then each of the steps that he's skipped, he skipped over, that is, uh, has a particular issue that has to be deal with that you would uh, see as having to be have, have been dealt with 
prior to having the um, Juneteenth as a as a federal holiday. So the first step um, was voting rights, police violence, and reparations. And then the final step, which is where his his foot is planted, is making Juneteenth a national holiday. So there are a lot of there's there's going to be a tussle back and forth about which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Making it a holiday or celebrating after we've done all of the work for all the other things that need to be done prior to making something a holiday. And I, I, I'm not going to be able to have an answer to that, or I, I could have my answer to that. But I'm one of those people that the celebration comes after all the work. And there are some people that's going to say that making this a holiday is a part of the work. It's a part of getting people to recognize that there's issues to be dealt with and that we should be dealing with those. And I'm of that, that the celebration should come after all of the work is done. Now, the difficulty there with, with that train of thought is that how do you know when we've stopped the police violence? How do you know when uh, voting rights are in, enshrined and are being protected? How do you know? Uh, oh, I forgot the very first rung was talking about race in schools. So it was... The first step was talking about race in schools, voting rights, stop police violence, reparations, and then uh, Juneteenth, a national holiday. So at this particular point, we're not having the conversation about race in schools. We're having a shouting match at each other about race in schools. There is some ways that race in schools has been addressed. Um, but we don't have a standard. So one school district is going to do a different thing than another school district than another school district. And uh, some people are comfortable with that. That's acceptable because you, I hear a lot of the argument that different communities want to be able to do different things. Different states want to be able to do different things the, the way for that state. And so there's not a, uh, they, they don't want a consistent application of something across states, across the country. One of the things, I was recently on a, a podcast, I uh, got a chance to talk to a gentleman, and I have to find out for you again what the name of the podcast was, because I've kind of forgotten. Uh, I was waiting on, on get back him to get back to me that, you know, he had posted it. So with all of the other things that I'm doing, I tend to not grab certain information until I absolutely need it. And I probably needed it for this conversation. But we were having a conversation. We were talking. And one of the things that I mentioned was, is that our ability to solve problems is based on shared experiences. If 
one part of the country does not teach something that is taught in another part of the country, we run into a situation of not having shared experiences, not having exposure to certain information that helps us to have better conversations with each other. In a system where, in a, a situation where we're trying to problem solve, it is going to be important that we have, <clears throat> at, at least have a point to work from that both of both all of the people in the conversation know where the conversation genesis is and where we're trying to get to if we don't have all of, if we don't have the same access to the same information if we don't have uh, access to some of the same experiences then the conversation is going to be bogged down and it's probably not going to go very well and currently our system is uh, people are attempting to <clears throat> isolate different areas so that they don't have to deal with things that they don't particularly want to deal with that may not be especially uh, poignant in their particular little space of the country. But once they step outside that, then it becomes an issue, but they don't have the tools or they don't have the information to actually deal with that. So I, under, I understand the desire to not, to not expose your children or expose your family to things that you find unpleasant. But um, if we don't create a national conscience, a national conscience of information that from from California to New York is consistent. It is going to make conversations much more difficult, which is, I think, part of what we're dealing with currently now in our political discourse with not, you know, how, what is democracy and how should democracy be practiced? And some people believe that democracy is about getting what I want and keeping you from getting what you want versus uh, inclusion. And that's what they believe, that's their version of democracy. And because we don't have a standard, or because it's not practiced a standard definition or a standard application, then we get all of this, uh, people interjecting their own personal ideas and beliefs into what is uh, the definition of our democracy. So anyway, the, the, the Juneteenth holiday, I, I kind of, this graphic really brought out to me the question of what, how do we progress forward? Do we, I mean, it, obviously it's going to, it appears that we're going to have both. We're going to. Uh, put the cart before the horse, and then sometimes we're going to put the horse before the cart. And maybe we'll do them both at the same time, which I, I know seems crazy, but um, in the instance of Juneteenth, let's say, Juneteenth can be used as a vehicle to educate and to bring people into an understanding. And maybe that will impact 
talking about race in schools. Maybe that will impact talking about voter rights. Maybe that will impact talking about these things that um, people feel should be addressed prior to creating a holiday. So there's a potential there that this is a good thing. For, for, for me, I like to, to take first steps first and, and build on your, your, your previous successes. So first, we talk about race in schools. We get to the point of where we're dealing with that, where it is an issue that we're at least talking about it. We're at least realize that it's something that needs to be addressed, and we're at least addressing it. That doesn't mean that we have an agreed-upon way to talk about race in schools. It just means we at least agree that talking about race in schools is appropriate and necessary. And then we start the, the, the process of now that we've had that success, how do we talk about race in schools? What, what, is the, what is the way we do this? How do we implement this so that we are building towards the success of or building towards a better society as a whole? And so for me, the um, holiday would then be the cherry on top of all of that work that we've built and done to to make all of that possible, um, and I understand that that mine is a is one way, and it, that that it's not shared by a lot of people, and that's part of reason why I want to talk about it and have that as a as a conversation piece, because because I want to try to understand how other people see this as um, a way to implement the successes that we need as a whole. Here, my thought is, if the holiday never existed, if we don't have a Juneteenth holiday, if it never existed, we still have to have all of those steps to get to a place in society where everyone is allowed to participate and be a part of the system. Can we make sure everyone's a part of the system by not talking about race in schools. Can we get to a place where everyone feels um, a part of the system or a part of society if not everyone's allowed to vote? There's not voting rights. Can we have a better society and build towards a better society if we don't have a standard um, definition of how police behavior should be. So, so, so for me, these are the, these are the, this is the criteria that I use to determine whether this is a, um, useful tool or a, a, a step that is necessary among all the other steps. So how do I, how do I put those steps into place? So um, for me, like voting rights and talking about race in schools can be interchangeable. Um, but it definitely 
you know, comes before a holiday. Um, I'm not saying that the holiday, I'm not, it is not my intent to denigrate the holiday or say that it's, it's unnecessary or uh, it is just, I'm examining the idea of its place in on the things that need to get done. So, you know, having the holiday is, a, I think, a fabulous idea. And I think it, it can be a tool for good, for building a better society. So I'm going to, I'm just going to put that there, give people a chance. I'd like to, you know, get some feedback. Um, having a conversation, I think, is extremely important because it allows one person to express an idea, to get feedback. I'm not going to have all the answers for my, you know, by myself. That's, that's what community is for. That's what um, communal brain trust is about, is that the more people input, the more likely you are to come out with a better outcome. And so, so my goal here is to try to get someplace to start, or at least on that continuum of the conversation, is to be a part of that conversation, interject the, uh, these ideas, and see if those ideas make good sense in the scheme of the whole conversation. Um, but f for uh, today, happy uh, Juneteenth. Um, going forward, I don't know how uh, things are going to be. I'm, I'm reading and learning. Uh, I've heard, I've known about Juneteenth for several years. And I've been um, in the company of people who are extremely passionate about Juneteenth and, uh, and, and their efforts in trying to make this a national event. Um, and so, and so I, I have that, that close, a closer relationship with it. Uh, and, and hopefully I'll try to uh, get some of those people into the conversation with me on the next opportunity. What happened this morning was I had a show planned that was totally different than what is going to, what's coming up. And I violated my primary rule is that uh, you don't try to do something at the last minute. So I had been planning this show, a, a different type of show for several days. And uh, then this morning I ran across a couple of articles uh, or the one I'm going to talk about next. And, and I knew that I had to have this conversation today. Um, so I'm going to cut off the Juneteenth segment and then I'm going to start with, uh, the edition. I call it the today's edition, the use of force edition. So I use a, a number of news sources when I'm looking for information. And I, I spend a lot of time reading news just from a lot of different organizations and I ran across this article this morning from the New York Post. So I had some concerns about, so that there was a video in the, in the, in the article. And uh, for those people that, um, for those people that are um, listening to the audio only version, I will describe the image and that's, one of the things that I had uh, some concerns about is it is a extremely graphic video. Um, and when I say extremely graphic, there's, there's no blood, 
but but you can actually see a, a person firing a weapon at another person and you can see the impact of the bullet hitting their body uh, the, you can see the body jerk from the from the impact of the bullet so anyway the article is let's see I'm pull it up here Yeah, there we go. Horrific shooting video shows exactly why crime is an issue for New York City voters. So I'm going to uh, warn people here that this there's a this video I'm going to play is a, is very graphic and you you may want to um, watch proceed with caution. It's only a few few moments and here we go. So I'll describe the video for those people that are um, let's see already. So the video <clears throat> starts and I'm gonna <clears throat> loop through this. So when the video starts, it shows these two children. There's several people standing on the street. There's two children. One looks like uh, a little girl about nine, eight, nine, maybe ten. A little boy looks like maybe five or six. Or s yeah, five or six. Now, they may be boys and, you know, reverse boys or girls. And uh, what happens is, is that the faces are pixelated and... Also, the face of the um, victim and the perpetrator is pixelated. So you get the, the video of a street. Look, you're looking down at a street, not from at, a, at an angle, not from a, a above, but at an angle. And you see a sidewalk. You see cars, cars to the, to the left and storefronts to the right. And then as the video starts to play, the kids are, are walking from the towards the camera and they come down. So they, they're, they're actually positioned towards the top of the video and as they walk forward, they're moving towards this, the middle of the video. So in the, in the upper right and everything's coming from the top of the video down towards the middle of the video, there's a person in red that's darting from the top towards the middle of the video running and as the children are walking to go into the store this person collides with the children now, at this point you don't see what he's running from but in the next few frames uh, a person comes from behind vehicles on the, uh, towards the top of the video coming down towards the center of the video with uh, dressed in black in a face mask and um, a head covering. And you notice that he's pointing something at the person in the red shirt that was running. The person in his red shirt collides with the children and falls over the two children. So they're all on the ground. The, the, the guy in the red is, is on the ground on top of the two children. And 
they're doing what they can to try to get over or to not land full on the children and yet still try to get away. As the video progresses, the you, you notice that the person with the gun starts aiming and starts shooting at the person um, that was running in the red shirt. And you can see the recoil of the weapon. You can see the, re the weapon recoil as he pulls the trigger. The guy tries to get around the children. Um, and the, the, one of the children is kind of trapped under him while he's trying to head back the way he came to get away from the shooter. So now the shooter has moved to the bottom of the screen and is shooting back towards um, the person that had collided with the children and the children. As the video continues, um, the person shooting the weapon, though the person in the red falls to the ground because he's, he's, they've, they've tripped over the children. The person with the weapon then runs back towards the children and the, the person that had fallen and continues to fire. And, um, and then the video jumps to a different angle of the scene, whereas it was, uh, the first video was head on. This video is after the children enter the scene from up the street. And it shows you a different angle of the, the person running over the children, uh, falling over the children, and the person firing the weapon. Um, so the article states that the person that was shot was shot three times, one time in each leg and once in the back. The children were not harmed. There was no bullets that they that hit the children, and it doesn't talk about anyone else being hit from ricocheting bullets or or shrapnel or um, any kind of you know, bullet fragments or what, of that nature. So it it was a, a extremely horrific scene. Um. So let me go back. Mutual Assured Destruction. Mutual Assured Destruction is a political and military philosophy where we own or have the capabilities to destroy our enemy and they have the same capabilities to destroy us and that this controls our behavior so that we don't initiate aggressive tactics against each other. And this has been effective. Most of this, all of the skirmishes that I know of between powers on the planet, there have not been any between um, nuclear bearing opponents. So um, the skirmish with uh, another country, me, uh, you know, United States or Russia or China, um, usually 
it's not with another nuclear power. And so this has been effective, this mutual assured destruction. So we avoid, um, you know, nuclear powers avoid fighting other nuclear powers because that could be devastating. Now, one of the things I also talked about in the podcast with this gentleman was, and I mentioned it and we never got into it more, is in our country we are appear to be moving towards um, mutually assured destruction in, in the public space in that we have, we are, there uh, are instances where um, gun ownership is, is less and less regulated. Uh, the idea is a good guy with a gun is um, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun. And the idea is, is that the more guns in society, the one or two things will happen. Either the bad guy will think twice about using a gun or if the bad guy does use a gun, that there is a good guy there that could use the gun. So it's kind of a mutual assured destruction um, take on um, force in our society. The, the problem I have with that philosophy, when countries that are nuclear armed, think about other countries that are nuclear armed or dealing with other countries, what they realize is not only can that country fire back and defend themselves on a nuclear level, but that even if I was to, uh, our country was to first strike and wipe out the other guy, that we're still in danger. There's still the potential for us to get damaged by the fallout of the nuclear weapons. So there's a dual role in the mutual assured destruction that helps to eliminate the use of those types of weapons and to tame aggression between combatants or um, um, I don't want to call them combatants between um, entities that are different. There's that element. In a firearm situation, that's not necessarily the case. If I've got a weapon and I kill the bad guy, there's more than likely nothing from the aspect of be firing that weapon that's going to cause me harm, that's going to regulate my desire to pull the trigger because there's nothing going to happen to me other than maybe some um, legal battles 
There's no physical um, blowback that's that's there to temper my desire to pull the trigger. So we flood our we flood our cities and our counties and our municipalities with weapons and and we understand that people are less and less reticent to hold back on using weapons so they're more likely we we know that the more weapons there are the more deaths there are by weapons so flooding our communities with more weapons does not seem like a rational way to address death by weapons. But how do we have that discussion? Because people are, they look at videos like this one and they see the brazenness, the brazenness which which this person went after a second person, and we don't know if that second person was unarmed. We don't know if if they were armed. We don't know if they had a weapon and lost it. If that weapon is now out there in the street, what we see is one person running after another person and intersecting with two children, two small children. And the, and the, and the person with the weapon ignoring that there were children in the scene and willing to fire to complete his, his or her um, mission to shoot this other person. So then, um, We see that in, in, in a lot of people that's going to um, immediately instill in them the idea that we need more police. We need more ways to be safe. We need more aggressive ways to be safe. And that's what police are. Police are in a an aggressive, a progressive way, to, or a forceful way, to be safe. Now, so let's look at um, policing. We create. Let's say we create the. We add more police. The more police we add, the more police we're going to need. Because there's always, we, we have consistently expanded the role of police officers to cover everything from jaywalking to auto theft to murder to you name it. We're asking police officers to do it. 
So that means we're putting police officers, we're putting people that have weapons into every situation that's a confrontation or a um, opportunity for competing ideas. And, and, and as I'm talking, I'm trying to make sure I find good words to describe what I'm, the idea that I'm trying to get across. Um, but we're asking police officers with a weapon. And, and the, the, the idea that a police officer with a weapon is going to be always be the best judge of when that weapon should be used then comes into play. Because if an officer makes a bad decision, the outcome can be extremely dire. And some people feel that that's acceptable. That's an acceptable risk. That's an acceptable risk. But, but in this instance, this thing may have the interest where the, the, the guy starts shooting at the other guy. They either was not enough police officers to interfere in this or it happened so fast that police officers couldn't do anything. I, we, I don't know. We don't know where law enforcement was in this instance. I don't know. And, and the article doesn't share that information. So maybe it could have been avoided if we had had more police officers, but how many more police officers would have been necessary? My understanding is that New York has the largest police force in the country already. So how many more officers do we put on the police force? We've had, we've had instances where officers have been fired from one police force because they um, have shown behavior that's contradictory to um, the, the behavior that they expect from police officers. And then that person, police officer moves to another district because that other district needs police officers and they may have to, you know, or they may decide to overlook some of those uh, problems that the previous that, that this officer had in the previous instance because of the need to have police officers. So, so we increase in the number of police officers, constantly trying to increase the number of police officers um, with the idea that the more police officers we have, the more likely they are to stop crime. But a lot of the efforts by police officers is after the crime not before the crime <laughs> now and that's where we've dealt with as far as uh, broken windows policing police because okay um, so Tufel uh, made a comment about uh cutting the police budget, and I was definitely going to get to uh, defunding the police. That is definitely a part of the conversation, so I'm going to circle back to that. Um, so so, so the, the broken windows idea was that you get, um, you get in front of crime, 
and try to prevent it, and then you don't have to um, deal with it after the damage is done. But that creates damage in and of itself. Um, because a lot of good people who would not have created crime or did, would not have um, committed a crime are now uh, feeling they, they've, they're not feeling a part of the society. They're not, they're not treated as respectfully as a citizen who is doing the right thing should be treated. So, so that is not necessarily the best answer. Um, so now we've got a situation of um, we don't know how many police officers. We just balloon the police, officer, police force. Eventually, you're going to run out of people to be police officers. Eventually, you're going to run out of people to be police officers. And um, when that comes, then what do you do? How do you solve the problem? Because here's what happens. If you use force as a way to resolve an issue, you will always need to use force to maintain that. So in other words, if people are not creating crimes because there's so many police, then when the police, when the number of police fall, then it'll be advantageous to go back to creating crime. So the idea behind force, right, is that you make it unpleasant to create, to create, uh, commit a crime. So when it becomes unpleasant, when it, when it no longer becomes unpleasant to create a crime, then crime's going to go back up. So you have to maintain that force of police officers doing what they do. Um, so my thought is, is that we need to find other ways of attacking crime. So we know that some crime can be um, handled by, you know, housing, by jobs, by building communities better where people aren't on top of each other, uh, uh, supporting people in the, the legal system. So we've got, we've got, we're, we're giving people guns that are domestic abusers. And we, we have data that giving these people guns um, can, in, in a lot of cases, wind up um, costing the life of the abused. So there are a lot of things that we, we can do and should do in order to try to stem the tide. But what we do on a regular basis, and we do out of, I think, out of fear, is that, is that we, the, our first response is to use force. So we hear that there's a problem um, we see that there's people shooting, so we, if we have police officers shoot back, then that's going to solve the problem, and it's, and it's not always going to solve the problem. So what Tufel brought up earlier was defunding the police. 
So the defunding the police, and and one of the things about defunding the police, and you've uh, you'll hear the the rantings that um, that this has been a complete failure and it's horrible, and you know it has it has done nothing but allow criminals to be uh, more criminal like. And and the idea and and so the I my comment to that is. Anytime you make a change, anytime you've done something for a long period of time, anytime you've done, you know, there's there's something you've been doing for a long period of time and you change the way you're doing things. There is going to be an adjustment period. It is just going to happen. And so the thing is, is the concern then becomes how long is the adjustment period and, and how severe is the adjustment period. But there is going to be an adjustment period. And for all of those people who are um, trashing the um, changing in how we policing and changing budgets and putting forth, there is going to have to be housing hasn't changed. It has not changed. So if we're not building housing, then we've got homeless people out doing things. They may feel like that's how they can eat is that they rob the local grocery store or something of that nature. I'm just picking a, a, a minor example of how we can change things. So how we can change things and Changing funding, changing the priority of the police department, narrowing the focus of the police department, and identifying alternative solutions, having more than one way to solve a problem, having more than one way to solve a problem is the way problem solving should work. Because there's not one reason that crime is committed. So there can't be one solution to ending crime. And the concern here is that there are people who don't want to hear that there are alternative solutions and don't want to give those alternative solutions a chance so that we can move forward. Everything doesn't have to be about force. Everything doesn't have to. Finesse, in many cases, solves more problems than force. Force creates its own problem. Force begets force. If you push on something, it usually pushes back. If you finesse it, then it uses its own energy to steer into the direction of where you need it to go. And it, there's less abrasive. There's less conflict. There's less um, um, alternate force in getting things done. And the thing that I think that we have uh, an issue with in our country is, is that for so long, force has been the ideology of getting things done. There hasn't been a please and thank you and would you do that. Um, uh, Biden got into office and and he was, you know, making threats and um, you're talking tough and 
things like that in his first 30 days because that's that's how we tend to want to see things done we want to we don't want to work at the problem one of the things that i talked about at the very first part of this was that you know we need to have discussions about um what it is that we're trying to accomplish you know someone is going to say well we just want the crime to stop but what what does that mean does that does that mean that nobody ever commits crime is that realistic is that realistic um do we want um people that go in and steal a pack of gum to wind up being shot and killed do we want bystanders to be hurt in trying to stop a jaywalker so understanding what it is that we're trying to accomplish um and then we can set parameters rather than um, giving a, a use of force carte blanche to determine how they resolve an issue. Um, there's, there's, there's got to be more than one way to solve an issue. And we have to be willing to um, work with uh, and recognize that um, alternative solutions need opportunities to flourish. It is going to take time. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get away from it overnight. It It is going to take concerted effort. It is going to take having that conversation and convincing people that force should not be the only answer to a problem. Force should not be the necessarily the overriding issue to solve a problem. We have to look at the problem and determine what should be used to solve the problem. Because in many cases, if a gun is not necessary to solve the problem, then we shouldn't use a gun to solve to to solve the problem. You know, you don't you don't use a hammer to um, saw a piece of wood in half. You use the right tool for the job at hand. And uh, the whole defunding the police community uh, policing and and I, I tend to use community policing rather than defund the police because defund the police seems to be more of a flashpoint of you know people getting emotional and not listening beyond the defunding word um, but community policing in that we need to find different solutions for different problems but the first thing is identifying which problems require a gun and which problems do not. Someone goes into a store uh, to cash a, 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 a cash a uh, forged check should not under no circumstance, and that's my thought, should ever wind up dead. That situation should never escalate to that point, ever. And so I, I, I am a big proponent of that we start defining better the things that we need to accomplish and how to get there. Um, I think one of the difficult things is we've, we've done things a certain way for so long that it's easy to ignore trying to do things differently. Because then there's the unknown. Then there's the um, why. 
And the whys, for me, is self-evident. Is that is that we have issues that that end up in places that they don't need to be simply because of um, how we choose to address them. There are some people who don't do well in conversations. They don't do well in a debate. They don't do well in in being able to articulate their ideas. And that's why we we have to have uh, politicians and community leaders that articulate ideas well, that listen, that that attempt to find common ground. And that's one of the things I think that we have um, missed over the last um, 12 to 20 to 60 years is, is finding that common ground. It's finding where we can uh, at least begin the conversation because we, we really do have to end up in the same place. So for those people that believe in force as a solution and those people who believe in finesse as a solution, we still have to end up in the same place, and that is the solution. We need to find that solution and find the best way to get there. And so that's, that's part of the conversation. And when, one of the things that I think that we're n- not trying to have is that conversation about you know, making this a better place for all of us. And so I think I oh, one of the things I did when I had on my list today is I wanted to talk about uh, the economy, but I had to blow that off. Um, so I'm definitely going to put that in the hopper. Coming up um, for the month of July and the first two weeks of August, we will be off. We will not be producing episodes. Um, and so, uh, we will be coming back. I think it's August the 20th will be the next episode after next Saturday, the 26th. Let's see. That's today is the right 26th. 26th is the last episode for the summer. And then we'll come back. Um, there is a definite heat warning out for everyone. Please take care of yourself. If you don't have to go out, don't go out. Um, make sure that you drink plenty of fluids, keep hydrated, uh, wear loose clothing, um, and protect yourself from the heat. Um, we look, we look forward to having you back. Uh, if you find the podcast someplace, make sure you, uh, like and share the podcast, give us a thumbs up, um, you know, make any comments that you, uh, would like to make to help us make this better, uh, show for you. And, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in the next session. Um, have a great weekend, and I will be back next Thursday. That concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment, and thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website the lionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. 
And as always, look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.